0: You read the statements of the apostles and how they presented the gospel. They did not fail to mention hell, God's wrath, knowing that the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, Paul said, this was the, the undergirding burden of their souls. This is why we've come to talk to you, not that you end up in hell, but that you be saved from hell and brought into the mercy of the living God. Welcome to Let the Bible Speak. This is Pastor Ian Golliher, and it's always my joy to bring you the message of the gospel, telling you the old, old story that is ever new. And of course, it's ever relevant because of life, death, judgment, and eternal life or eternal condemnation. And in every generation, every soul that passes into this world passes on into eternity, need the gospel. They need to know that there is a Savior from hell, there is a Deliverer that can deliver them from the curse of the Adamic nature and of the guilt that is passed to them through Adam, and that they are delivered from all the broken law. Every one of us is made a moral person and accountable to God. And when you think about it, God is the creator. We are the creature. And there is a great line in between that can never be passed over. God will never become creature, and man will never become creator. We are the creature. God has made us. And the Bible tells us that he has made us from the dust of the ground in his own image. And he has put within our hearts, a conscience, a moral compass to know good and evil, right and wrong. And so every man, woman, boy and girl born into this world is accountable to God. That accountability means that we're going to give an answer, whether we have served God or rebelled against him. And of course, Every one of us has broken God's law. Every one of us has either taken other gods, we have not loved the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and we have not loved our neighbor as ourselves. There is a selfish nature within us, and so we need a new heart, and we also need to have deliverance from the condemnation of sin. And that's where... The cross comes in. That's where the Lord Jesus came into this world to be the Redeemer of his people, that in the fullness of time, God would bring forth a Savior made of a woman to redeem them that were under the law. And our Lord Jesus was made a curse for us. He who knew no curse became a curse for us and our sins were laid on him. There on that day at the cross, when our Lord Jesus was kneeled to that tree, as he was dying and offering up himself to the Father as a priestly sacrifice, all the sins of his people, all the sins of the people God the Father had appointed to the Son, And the Lord Jesus had covenanted to do the work for them. For those people there on that cross, the Lord Jesus died, suffered, purchased perfect redemption. And how wonderful to know that our Lord Jesus cried out on the cross, It is finished. His work was accomplished. There's nothing more to do. And, of course, this means that salvation now is a gift. The work is done. Christ did it on our behalf. We receive it by faith. We take it as a gift without payment, without price. And we thank God for the gift of his Son, for the cleansing power of his blood, that we will be free from condemnation, and that on the judgment day, we have our names written in the Lamb's Book of Life Our sins do not appear. We have on the righteousness, the perfection of the Lord Jesus to our account. So this is the wonderful gospel. And it's good news in light of the bad news that there's hellfire and condemnation for the wicked. And so please stay tuned with us as we move now to our pulpit to let the Bible speak on reasons for eternal punishment, reasons that the wicked perish in eternal fire. Stay tuned as we let the Bible speak. Word that we use in Sunday school to teach young people that God does not change, immutable. God cannot change for the better because he's God and he cannot change for the worse or he would cease to be God. It is impossible for God to change. Or as it was said of our Lord Jesus, he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, that applies to his justice, as to all of his attributes, inflexibly. That means he cannot be a judge of jelly. He cannot be a judge that judges arbitrarily, depending on the mood of the day. You know, if you were a... uh, victim or accused and brought into court, and you'd be praying, Lord, I hope hope that judge is going to be in a good mood today. I I hope that he's, he's in a generous mood today. Well, a just judge judges righteously all the time. He never changes. And hell exists because God must declare sinful men and angels to be guilty, Because of the offense against his own character. God is offended. And hell exists because God always exists as a righteous judge. He cannot change and he cannot do otherwise, but maintain his righteousness. And when we get to Romans 3.25, we'll have a few things to say about that. Call me back to that. Don't let me miss that tonight. Number four, because the doctrine of eternal punishment is the basis for penal atonement. And that brings me back to that discussion I had with that man who objected to those posters, billboards in Bangor area, warning of hell. I said to him, you can't preach the cross if you don't believe in God's wrath and punishment against sinners, and that that wrath is eternal. Hell is not remedial. It's not a place of reform. It is not a place where people are turned around. Now, I'm coming back to W G G T Shed here again, and bear with me in this quite lengthy quote. This is point number four, under eternal punishment, is the basis for penal atonement. Suffering that is merely educational does not require a vicarious atonement in order to release from it. But suffering that is judicial and punitive can be released from the transgressor only by being inflicted upon a substitute. Now, that substitute was our Lord Jesus on the cross. He, therefore, who denies personal penalty— must logically deny vicarious penalty. If the sinner himself is not obliged by justice to suffer in order to satisfy the law he has violated, then certainly no one needs to suffer for him for his purpose. If suffering is not obligatory, if it is not demanded, if there's no law that condemns, if there is no justice that pronounces eternally guilty, and you are free at some point, then why should someone step in and take that punishment for you, bearing all the guilt of it, all the wrath of it, all the condemnation of it? It turns the cross of Christ into a mockery. And the God who planned the cross and sent his son to suffer on that cross and poured out his wrath upon him is rather a monster, than a God of grace. Do you see the problem? The very people that are afraid to refer to hell are making God into be a God who is obnoxious. They are trying to smooth out the Christian message. But logically, they're turning it into something that is, as a parent, whipping a child when there has been no penalty demanded. Now back to our notes here, just to make sure we cover these things clearly. Penal refers to punishment as payment for sin. The Lord Jesus was called upon by the Father to offer himself as a substitutionary sacrifice to endure the wrath of God upon himself to make payment on behalf of sinners. The death of Christ on the cross then was nothing less than Christ taking all the hell do to sinners. But if hell is not real, if hell is just metaphoric, if hell was just the wording of a poetic license, that's what the liberals say. That's what these modernists say. It's just words and fanciful literature. Hell is not really eternal torment. How then can we speak of the sufferings of our Lord Jesus upon the cross. The just for the unjust. Back to our notes here. I hope you can pick up on this line immediately after that reference, First Peter 3.18. Because this work of making satisfaction to God's justice for sinners required a sacrifice of infinite value, God sent his Son, the second person of the Trinity in human flesh, he alone could offer an all-sufficient sacrifice in his one death to make satisfaction to divine justice. It was because the Lord's sufferings were of eternal value. And in Hebrews 19.4, the word eternal is in there, that he could make atonement for all the sins of all God's people who would ever be redeemed. By the merits or the value of his eternal sacrifice, Christ turned away the wrath of God. God is satisfied because his justice is maintained. That's what Calvary was all about. That's what the suffering of the Son of God was all about. God's heart was throbbing with mercy and grace to redeem and save perishing sinners. But his justice cried out, condemn, condemn, destroy. They are unworthy of anything else. But God found a way to redeem my soul. He provided a substitute to take the sinner's place. And upon the substitute was laid all the hell that was due to To guilty sinners. And our Lord Jesus on that cross offered up his soul as a sin offering to make satisfaction, to satisfy God's justice. And so at the cross, justice and mercy kissed each other. That's Psalm 89. Justice and mercy kissed each other they were united. God maintains his infinite justice, and he shows and displays his infinite grace to poor, perishing souls. And Jesus on the cross paid it all. What a gospel. What a gospel. Now, let's go to Romans 3.25, Romans 3.25, and see how the apostle Paul states it here. 24 says, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation. You don't pronounce the T's in this word. It's a propitiation through faith in his blood. That's how we're saved. And if you're talking to a friend and say, you can be saved by faith in Jesus' blood, by believing in his cross work, by believing that he took our place upon that cross and that his suffering was enough. He suffered everything required. Now, why did God do that? Verse 25 says, to declare his righteousness. He remains holy. He continues to be God. He has not changed him, his character, but he has found a way to pardon sin, to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past. What a plan. What a gospel. And we're called to go forth and preach it. It brings me to point number five tonight. Because the doctrine of eternal punishment was behind the early church's burden for evangelism. You read the book of Acts, you read the epistles of the New Testament, you read the statements of the apostles and how they presented the gospel. They did not fail to mention hell, God's wrath, knowing that the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Paul said, this was the, the undergirding burden of their souls. This is why we've come to talk to you, not that you end up in hell, but that you be saved from hell and brought into the mercy of the living God. If a man's soul is set on a circular course of rebirth, and if he misses it the first time and he might get it the second time or the third time, well, we wouldn't be so worried. But my friend, your life, you're born once, you live once, you die once, an eternal state is a once-done affair, there's no return. That's what our Lord Jesus taught in that parable of the rich man and Lazarus. There's a great gulf fixed, and there's no way back. No way back for Lazarus either, not that he would ever want one. After his worldly misery to be in heaven, he would never want back. But you read of the rich man in hell, and he wanted someone to go to his five brethren and testify unto them. Oh, he believed in evangelism now. He wanted someone to warn them. Is there not here the exhortation in your heart? Is there not the voice to your soul? We must now warn them now. It's time to warn. It's time to win, people, lest they end up in this place of perdition. And so the ministry of the Lord Jesus was faithful when he told this amazing parable. In Matthew 7, in the wonderful, wonderful Sermon on the Mount, he said, Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many there be that go in thereat. And no one has ever come back from hell. There's no way back. There's no return from hell because there's no repentance there. Everybody remains a rebel in rebellion to God. They curse God. They blaspheme God in the very torments that they endure. You read that in Revelation 16. There's no righteousness to be had in hell. There's no way to clear the slate. There's no cleansing blood in hell. There's no way to be washed from our sins. Revelation twenty two eleven says, He that is unjust... Let him be unjust still, and he which is filthy, let him be filthy still, and he that is righteous, let him be righteous still, and he that is holy, let him be holy still. Eternity is an eternal state, no change. Ten thousand years, no less days of torment. There's no good news of the gospel in hell. No one will come with a gospel tract and say, there's a way of escape there's a way to leave this place and be free. It'll be a place of awful regrets. I wish I knew. Of course, the light of creation warns every man. The Bible warns every man. And we are sent to preach the gospel to every man. And that brings us to the preaching of the cross. That's tomorrow night. I said to Beulah today, I can't wait until tomorrow night. I was so burdened about preaching this one. This one weighs heavy. This one bears us down with the awful weight of God's righteous judgment upon the wicked. And we see that wickedness in the world around us. We see the, the delight that men take in things that are dark and hellish, blaspheming God. And we see the ways of men, and it depresses us. But we have the message of the cross, and we have the joy of going to our friends and, and neighbors and telling them there is a Savior from sin. There's one who not only breaks the power of it in this world, but he delivers it, us from the guilt of it in the world to come. I want to tell you the wonderful story of Jesus' sufferings on the cross. There is no greater theme to be preaching than the sufferings of the Lord Jesus on the cross. I went over in my mind today the seven sayings of the Savior on the cross. What a Savior. Crying out for you and me, it is finished. I want to tell you tomorrow night about a drug addict, a fellow called Orasic from Prince Edward Island. He was under the ministry of Plymouth Brethren Gospel Preachers. Better be careful. I'll tell you the story tonight and have no story for tomorrow night. With wonderfully saved. And it was the preaching of the cross. Would you pray tonight that God would make you a preacher of the cross? Now, don't tell me you can't be a preacher. Wives, you can be preachers. Mothers, you can be preachers. Young people, you can be passionate about many things that you read off in journals and and history lessons or whatever, in geography and travel, and you can tell these things in detail. There's no reason why you can't become a storyteller of the cross of Christ. Let this burn in your heart and you cannot be silent. How I got started in telling the story of the cross was going to seniors' homes, I remember going into what they call the Tyron and Fermanagh uh, home, and some people were very incapacitated. some had had strokes. There's no easier situation to to preach than to somebody at a bed they've had a stroke, and they're just there wide open, and they can't tell you to stop. I just read a verse, talk about it, read a verse, talk about it, and tell the Lord, tell them how the Lord saved me. I had no outline or no real. A sermon plan. Just talked about the Lord. I did the same with my aunt, Sophia. She was a widow. She had had a farm. Her husband had a farm the other side of Enniskillen, and she came to live in Oma. And I would visit her. And I remember giving her the book on the new birth by J.C. Ryle. There is a great evangelistic tool, by the way. It's available on Amazon. I just checked it last week on Paper, hard paper copy. I don't think, but hardback paper copy, and Kindle. You can get it in Kindle for about a dollar ninety-nine. Might be a bit a pound for you. A wonderful exposition of the gospel. And in his wisdom, he starts with a hardened heart, and then he gets to the new birth. And do you ever know that in John three, that when the Lord Jesus wanted to explain what it is to be born again, he ended up at John three sixteen as Moses was lifted up in the wilderness, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. That's John 3.14. And then John 3.6, for God so loved the world. So how do people get born again? You take them to the cross. There's a mystery power in the cross. It's like those who were bitten by the serpents in the wilderness. They were to look to that very brazen altar, or serpent. And as they looked, they were healed. And the great secret of this denomination, and Andrew Simpson and I were just talking about this last night, there's a people in Canada in Reformed churches that have all of this hyper-Calvinistic theology, but they don't get the gospel of the cross as they ought. Now, have you said to them, "Do, do, do you know that Jesus died on a cross? Yes, they would say that. But there is an amazing blessing in a preacher who has a passion to preach the cross. And you know that's the secret of the Free Presbyterian Church wherever it has gone. And I think this congregation has been so blessed with such preaching from its earliest days. And what a great thing to see the Reverend McKee and hear him preach the cross. What a blessing. What a power. Now, will we evangelize? Let's pray tonight that God will work these things in me. You're listening to Let the Bible Speak. I know that today's message has been fearful. It is contrary to what we would perhaps want to think, but this is the truth. I remember when it first dawned upon me the reality of this, and I concluded that all the people I know that are not Christians, that do not serve the Lord, that they are lost and headed for this judgment. And when that reality struck me, I realized that this is so important and so vital. And this is what gives urgency to the work of the gospel. There is nothing more important, more valuable, than seeing a sinner brought out of their condemnation to the full enjoyment of salvation and peace with God through the gospel of the Lord Jesus. And of course, our Lord Jesus, he came on a mission from heaven to give his life, to lay down his life, and to suffer in The place of sinners, we are called to preach this and to plead with you to accept and believe the gospel. It's not just some little Andegean story that's good in childhood. It is the most reasonable and the most vital message that you will ever hear. And I plead with you today to give your heart to the Savior. Cease from your rebellion of sin and come trust the Lord Jesus Christ. Become a Christian, a Christ one, resting in the finished work of the cross, trusting in the blood of redemption with the enjoyment of eternal life. That's the gospel, and that is for you.
1: You can contact us using our office number, which is 604-576-1091. Alternatively, you can email me at pastor.cloverdealfpc at gmail.com. Again, for all this information, please go to our website at cloverdealfpc.ca. Our burden is that you will hear and understand the gospel